get together. I'm thankful to be here. How about you? The Bible says, as the day of the Lord approaches, it says, do not forsake meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more meet together so we can encourage one another. And so it's so important. That's what we're here to do. Be encouraged. And what do we get the encouragement from? Hell, it's definitely not my personality that can do that. It is in God's word. And that's what we share is that encouragement. That's why we sing together. How many people enjoyed the worship today? That was, I, I do. Now, Rush style may be a little bit more towards a rock style, but that's who I am. That's who, you know, a lot of us are. We have different flavors, right? But it's when we come together and sing that, that God does his good work in us to encourage us. I just love that. Thank you, praise team, for what you did today and how the, the spirit of God moved in that. And I want to I go on, and I just want thank you, Pastor Missy and Pastor Courtney last week. God is good in his message. And so I'm stealing it today. So thank you. In their message, um, and I remember specifically that Courtney said this. What do you do when what you see does not match or isn't what God said? And I really felt when she spoke that last week. And the message is around, you know, preparing ourselves and being ready and, and all of that. Not give up. So many people are giving up because they, they just don't see what they've been praying for. And that does sound a little bit selfish, doesn't it? God, I, I want this to happen. I want you to put your blessing on it so I can see. The Bible calls that leaven. It's leaven in the bread. Jesus warns his disciples, be careful, beware of the leaven. The leaven today is the proof that we so want to see. And so we've got to be very careful Today, as we look and say, God, if you do this, then, then, then I will. The Bible never will say he'll move first and then we're convinced. Matter of fact, Jesus made it very clear. I will not show you a sign. And he said it exactly to the Pharisees because the Pharisees said, well, we just want to see. Just show us and then we'll believe. He called it a wicked generation. What generation is this that you ask for a sign and the Son of Man is there before you? Who one that does all these miracles and loves you. Can you not see I am standing here in the midst of you? Don't you see by what I do, who I am? Because I reveal the Father in heaven. And you want to see a sign. And that's the leaven. That's the leaven that Jesus speaks about. That's very dangerous. And so I'm stealing. What do you do when what you see is not what God said? And so we're going to learn more about that today. And I so appreciate it. Have you ever found yourself that point when you don't have enough? Have you ever found your places where I don't understand? There's not enough. And so I have found myself there. And my son and my daughter remind me of those things at times because they don't know. They don't have enough wisdom to see this, right? They're just in this time, and, and this is all they see. And, and sometimes they panic of what they see, right? My son, when it comes to Halloween candy, what's going to happen when it runs out? You know, am I going to be able to survive this, you know? And have we, have we not as adults sometimes feel this? Men will often work too much because they're afraid things will run out. Men often try to, and women do this too, they often try to plan for the future. And if, do I have enough if I were to quit my job today? Would I have enough to, to, continue, to continue my lifestyle through this years here to come? And we can find ourselves in a place, Lord, do we have enough? Uh, do I have enough right now? Don't we? 
And so can I, can I say this? What do you do when you don't see and you know God's promise? It's, they, they can be conflicting and it can lead us to a place of unsurety and that's not a good place to be. Let's go into the word a little bit. Jesus was notorious to say this twice to his disciples and it's amazing the words that Jesus used. How many loaves do you have? He says it two times in this wonderful word of God. One is in Mark 6:38. And of course the disciples say, "We Lord, we we obviously don't have enough because we only have five loaves and two fish." Okay? We have this little boy's lunch and this is all we have. So you, this is a trick question, isn't it, Lord? How many loaves do you? Of course he knew. How many loaves do you have? And they feed how many? 5,000 men plus women and children. We know the story. It's amazing God does this, right? And then later he does another time where in Mark 8, 5 it says, he asks the same question. How many loaves do you have? And they would say to him, well, we have seven loaves and just a few fish. Still the insurance of, can we do this? And then we know the word says that they feed 4,000 plus women and children. I don't know about you, but that would be pretty convincing. <laughs> that just with one loaf, we will be able to do so much. Okay, we all think, well, if I was there, not right, if I was there, if I, if I saw that, then, then I, I wouldn't be acting like that. That wouldn't, not, 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 that wouldn't be me, right? Come on, raise your hands if those who feel that way, that, that if I was there, it would be different. I'd like to say I'm in that group too. Lord, I would be different, you know that. Because I know you so well. How many loaves do you have? Have you ever felt in your time today that there's times that you don't think you have enough? That maybe God said to do this and, and you would say, well, I don't have enough knowledge. Or maybe God has sent you to this person. You said, well, I don't have that kind of personality. I don't have enough patience. I don't have enough kindness. I don't have enough meekness. Hmm? Have we said that before? I know I have. Let's go further. Mark 8, 14. We're going to stay in Mark. Mark is just an incredible chapter when it comes to these things. Incredible book. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread. They're on the boat. Jesus gets in the boat. There's, there's a lot of things that happen in the boat. <laughs> Remember the boat when Jesus walks in water? Remember the boat when Jesus is sleeping in the bow of the boat? I mean, Jesus does a lot of teaching on the boat. And not about you, he takes fishermen with him. There's something about a boat and fishermen that Jesus says, this is where I'm going to teach them. I wish today that we would have an opportunity to learn in the midst of water and boats. I wish I would be able to turn this into the Sea of Galilee. I would love to take every one of you on the boat with Jesus. Wouldn't it be incredible that Jesus would show himself his word to us in those moments that, what are you going to do, jump overboard? What are you going to do, leave? He would say, no, you're going to stay right here. I'm going to prove to you in this boat who I am. He's done it so many times. He does it again. Here's the disciples. After the great miracles, listen to me. This, you would not be there, right? You'd be the one saying, hey, I saw that. I'm, I have much better faith. But after the great miracles of the bread, Jesus is in the boat. And the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And Jesus was giving orders to them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. I'm telling you, leaven today is what? Proof. I have to have proof. I need to see. You've got to prove it to me, Lord. The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I, I love math. Anybody here love math people? They, they had no problems with math. It was one of those things that kind of came in their head and everything today you kind of work through there and you can't wait to get the bill from the restaurant because you're, oh, I know instantly what that is for, for the tip. And it's kind of fun, right? Other people think I'm weird. Those who love math, let me see your hands. Those ones that like to calculate quickly, it's just fun. You find fun in that. And I know it's weird, but there's other people that like other things. And I like math. And so instantly I say, okay, if, if just one time, the very last time that Jesus does something really cool, if I just do the arithmetic just for a moment, if I had one loaf, not seven, what does that mean? Well, let's take 4,000 people plus women and children. So really it's more. 4,000 people. And we have seven loaves. Well, how many can one loaf do? Have you ever done this before? I said, well, Jesus can do one loaf can feed 571 men plus women and children. I know this sounds kind of weird. Bear with me. So the, Jesus asked him. He doesn't even bring up bread. He just brings up leaven. When he brings up leaven, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Instantly the boys come over and say, well, we only have one loaf. Leaven, bread, bread, not enough. He took fishermen with him. See, fishermen knew that there's on the lake anything can happen. So prepare yourself when you fish. Take enough food for everybody to eat. So they were in the mindset, we are going out into the lake. And if we're going to go to the lake, we should bring some bread. He just reminded us of bread because he said leaven. Leaven's in bread. Bread, we don't have enough. And it's a stupid discussion. I said stupid, and I shouldn't say stupid on the stage. My wife, I'm going to have a discussion with her at home. She's never used stupid. That's right. That's right, see? Don't use stupid. Stupid is what stupid does. That's a, that, I think it's in the Bible. Is that in the Bible someplace? No, it's not. So they are in a discussion with Jesus. I don't even know how in the world they get into this, but leaven's brought up and they get into it. We don't have enough bread, Jesus. And can you imagine his frustration? Did you not see? Did you not believe? And so... Here they're in a discussion. I know by doing the arithmetic that one loaf can do 571 people. There's not that many on the boat. So as far as I'm concerned, if we do the arithmetic and we are that kind of people, we'd be going on boat saying, one's enough, even a crumb, even a crumb would be enough for us all. But they are not there. And so Jesus tries to teach them. He's so patient and kind. Is he not? Isn't his love enduring forever? Isn't Jesus one of those who will stay with us to the end? Isn't it wonderful to know that Savior is just like that? He is with us today, and he's the same way. It doesn't matter if we're those kind of people that stupid is stupid does. He's really there. Thank you, Jesus, that he'll spend time with me in the boat, even when I fall short. And I guarantee every one of you would be in that discussion about bread. So what does he teach them? Well... Have you ever found yourself saying, I have no blank? And I have to say, this is my, my creativity. I had a, a mathematician trying to be creativity, bringing creativity. It says, if you keep on knowing, your knowing will not keep on. Can we get out of the mindset of saying we do not have enough? Can we stop saying, I can't? Have you ever met someone when you're trying to discuss with them, and I, I'll just be perfectly honest, let's be transparent, pulling up my sleeves, 
Have you ever met someone that you start to help them and, and start to counsel with them, and they say these very words, oh, I know. And you think to yourself, well, if you know, why don't you do? Have you ever met those, and granted every one of us has done it, I guarantee at least once that you were in the place where you said, I know already that. And we need those people on the other side of that comment to say, well, why don't you do it? And if God is all things to all, if he knows all things and he is provision for all things, why don't you step into what it is you are to do? Well, it's sin. Well, good. Well, then you need to say no to it and turn from it. Often sin takes us to a place that we don't even see it. Correct? So have you found yourself in that place where you're saying, I don't know, or there's not enough, or I don't, I can't, I won't. And if you're in that place, your knowing has put you in a place that your knowing God can't exist. So has anybody ever been there before? I know I have. Let's go on. Eight. Let's go into Mark 8. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? <laughs> He's so gentle. I mean, it's in a question form. So isn't it great about Jesus? He actually takes you in a place of stupidity, and he asks you a question to get you out of that. I know I use, I use it again, honey. Thank God that Jesus is like that. He doesn't leave you there. He says, I'll ask you a question to bring you back. Have you ever heard the Holy Spirit has he ever asked you a question? And he brings you back to realizing where you were. And he even calls this a hardened heart. A hardened heart is a place where you stop listening and stop hearing and stop speaking the things that God says to do. A hardened heart is in a place where I don't think I can. That's a hardened heart. It's not a good place to be. It says, do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Christians today can have hardened hearts. They love the fact that Jesus says, I am the God, Son of God. I'm here to, to bring salvation. You can come from this place here in Amari Clay and come here to salvation. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus does. But he also takes you to that place and he brings you to this place. And it isn't wonderful. He'll continue that good work in us until the day of completion. Thank you, Jesus. That he doesn't want us to be a place of salvation and become hard at heart. That often all of us can get to. Let's go on. And so let's get into some more teaching. It says in Mark 18, Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And Jesus adds to this. He pulls that right out of the Old Testament. He pulls it out of the Ezekiel. Isn't it awesome that Jesus was the word? The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus speaks, and there's the word. And he brings that out of Ezekiel. You've already heard this, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to put one more thing to it. I'm going, to, I'm going to put, do you remember? Or do you not remember? Don't you remember what I just did? You're in a discussion of bread, and I just multiplied it. And guess what? I multiplied it in your hands. Do you remember? That Jesus broke the bread. He's had everyone get into different groups in 50s and 100s. And he then went to them and he had the disciples. They are the ones that distributed, distributed, distributed. Did I say that right? Distributed it. 
They became the miracle. Do you know that Jesus did that for a reason? And then afterwards he says, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you even when you are done with the miracle, I'm going to let you gather up pieces. And in the gathering up the pieces, you're going to see that there's more in the gathering than there was at the beginning. And you get to pick them up and put them in baskets and see, there's enough for us. Jesus is always enough, is he not? And if you're not in a place today that know that Jesus is always enough, then you're not in the right place. Jesus is always enough. There's not a such thing to come from your mouth that you say you can't. It should never come from you. Don't let your knowing hinder or stop the knowing him. And it can with a hardened heart. Do you not remember? He says it so clearly to them. I, I have to believe if I was there. And of course, I would be on the other side with Jesus. I'd have my hand around Jesus going, yes, you tell them. <laughs> Everyone in this boat except for me. Because I do. I can smell the bread. There's enough here. That's where I'm at, right? I'm saying it. But every one of these else in the boat, you better tell them. All around. Jesus, maybe you need to throw them overboard. Seriously. Isn't that SRS? Seriously. That's... Good people know what SRS are, right? I get a little, you know. <laughs> well, at least the young people are laughing at me. I'm not sure if I had it right. Okay. Work for you? SMH. I can't believe this, right? Here I am. I'm with Jesus. I'm looking at the crowd and I'm going, SMH, Jesus. Every one of them. I'm shaking my head. Up. Okay. <laughs> Where would you be on that one? Okay. <laughs> IDK. IDK. I don't know. I'm open on on this side, shaking my head. Okay, let's go on. Mark 8. Jesus makes it very clear. He does say, Don't you remember? And I have to think I'd be there. Like, yeah, Jesus, I remember, and I'm an idiot. Thank you. But he then reminds them very gently. He says to them, When I broke five loaves, in five for five thousand how many baskets of pieces did you pick up let me remind you my loved ones and they said 12 he says and when i broke seven loaves for four thousand how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up and they said seven can you imagine at that moment when jesus makes it very clear that their hearts had become hardened They'd walk with the king. They'd walk with the person of miracles. And finally, Jesus gets him into a boat. And he starts to talk about leaven, probably knowing where they would go with it. And says, man, I'm just going to take my time because I love you this much. I'm not done with you. But don't you remember? See, I'm so thankful for God 
sets those kind of milestones in my life and yours too, that you can say, thank you, Jesus. There is bread right there. And there is bread right there in my life. And there's bread there. And because you did all three times, and because I know you love me, there's going to be bread here. There's going to be bread here and here and here and here. And there's never not enough. Never not enough. Never not enough. Thank you, Jesus. Do you still not understand? Jesus is so good about this. Do you still not understand? He spent the time and he taught them. He says, now I'm sure that last thing he said with a question mark solidified for them. They probably grabbed that piece of loaf of bread and they probably just looked at it thinking, are you kidding me? We can go back and feed a thousand or more of this. Be careful. When Jesus mentioned leaven, just before they got into the boat, he faced off Pharisees at that moment. Those Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, man, you call your son of God. You say you're the Messiah. We want proof. We want a sign. We want a sign. And Jesus, it said in his spirit, he sighed. And right then, I, I'm assuming the disciples right with him would see that. And then he gets in the boat and he says, be careful. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Because they need a sign. Do you? And sure enough, right after that, they get into a boat and they had a piece of bread, a loaf of bread, and they automatically needed a sign. In their heart, they were hardened. In their heart, his own disciples saw a loaf of bread and did not see the potential. They needed a sign. That's why Jesus spent the time. Isn't it good? He loves you that much? Jesus is amazing. I'm the other day. I'm a guy that... I don't, I don't need to have the proof, but it's kind of cool when Jesus shows up and proves to the world that he is who he is, say who he is. You know, the day the scripture says, <laughs> every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. My heart and part of me it rejoices that that's coming, but part of me cries because there's so many that will hear that, fall to their knees, but it's way too late. So I'm reading, and everybody knows Hebrews. Hebrews is an amazing chapter. It's all about faith. Now it says, faith is the assurance of what we hope for will come about and the certainty of what we cannot see exists. It's a different translation than maybe you're used to. By faith, we understand that the universe has been framed by the word of God so that what, we, what is seen has not been made out of the things which are invisible. God put everything to existence by words spoken. That thing that was unseen has made everything seen. Everything that we see is from his non-seen. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. That's faith. <laughs> That's faith, and it's beautiful. And through 11, it talks about these men of faith and women of faith, and it takes us through a trip. And Hebrews 11, if you're having a bad day, it's a great book to read, especially that chapter 11. And it takes you on a trip of faith. It tells you what faith is, and it shows you what faith has become through people. It's a great book. And then through this, I, I get an opportunity. Now, what, I didn't even bring up my piece of paper up here. I must have left it back there. Um, there's some pieces. Is it right there, Mark? 
Oh, there it is. You know, anybody ever done it before? You kind of leave something someplace safe and you don't know where safe is? That happens to me sometimes. I, was, I, was, I got this online and it tri- intrigued me because um, in 1996, and how much time do I have? I would get five minutes here. In, 19, in, 1990, in 19, I should say 1966, there was, a, there was a Time Magazine cover story. It says, asking the question, is God dead? And, and some of you, I, I was born in 1961, so I was only five at that time. I probably don't remember that. But maybe some of you do, but it, it, Time Magazine has been always an emphasis of what's going on. and It's current issues. It's, it's trying to make, I don't know, excuse for time. I'm not sure. But it said, 1966, is God dead? And really, it based that on what was happening at the time. And there was, there was a, at the same exact year, there was a man named Carl Sagan announced that there was two important criteria for a planet to support life. And both of those would be a star, like the sun, and a planet close enough to the sun that it thinks that that's all it really took. And so because of that discovery and that, that really that, 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 that time, that information, they, they figured out that through the um, octillion, now that's a lot of zeros, roughly octillion planets, that there really is a septillion amount that could exist to hold life. Okay, because of that, now... You don't have to have numbers. You have to know that there's a big amount of planets. And, and those are close enough to a star was enough planets that they thought, wow, let's do some research. So they started sending out some signals. Listen, there's got to be some intelligence out there. So we're going to put together an organization. And, and then this organization is called SETA, that, or SETI, whatever you want to, how you want to pronounce it. And they started to listen. Is there any such thing out there? And if there is intelligent life, we're going to be able to hear some communication. And they stuck some things out. And they spent thousands and millions of dollars to do this through government. And they found zero. And even at the point where the government said, you know what, we're going to give this, this up. You know, it's, it's too much for us to be spending. And I think in 1993, they said, yeah, let's just give it up. But there's other private organizations that kept researching it, believing that there's got to be something. And all of a sudden, through all of this, and I'm just going to go through here some of these, these notes of mine, it became very clear that there was more than just two things that needed to happen with a planet and star. There, there had to be a lot more involved for life to exist. And so they came up with 10 factors that were more, and, and then they came up with 20 factors that had to be in line, and then they came up with 50. And because of all these new discoveries, they're actually finding out it becomes less likely that life can even exist on a planet under these conditions. So it, it got from all this octillion down to just a few thousand. And the more they researched, the more they found out that it was almost impossible for life to exist on any planet. And what's intriguing about this, they have now 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life. Every single one of these must be perfectly met, or the whole thing would fall apart. That's where they are today. Isn't it amazing? Astrophysics, and and now know that the values of these four fundamental forces, they came up with, say, okay, now we know all of this, there there are such things as... um, this article here, there's such things as, hold on here, and I'll get to that place, um, electromagnetic negative forces that have to be there, and there was four parameters they came up with, and all of these things had to be perfectly aligned, and what's amazing about now, 
uh, here it is, nuclear forces, electromagnetic forces, strong and weak nuclear forces, all had to be present doing this thing perfectly to have life to exist. Do you know where they are today because of all these findings? I'll make it very quick. They found out that it's impossible for the earth to exist. They actually, they come to a point that there's zero chance in all of the universe for this to just happen because everything has to be perfectly lined up. 200 parameters, these four forces that now they find to be perfectly aligned, that they can't even be off just a little bit. They have to be perfect. There cannot be a Big Bang Theory. It's impossible for things to come together and explode and all of a sudden be everything perfectly aligned. As a matter of fact, they say if Jupiter was not where it was, that all these meteors, we'd have a thousand times more meteors hitting the Earth. Could the Earth even exist if even Jupiter wasn't perfectly set in its place? So the more they know, the more it looks to God. Isn't that amazing? Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who claimed or coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken at these developments. He later wrote that a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests common sense, that a super intelligent, a super intelligent or intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as the chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There cannot be the Big Bang. It's impossible. How long is it going to take before schools get on track? The more you know about the universe, the more that you learn about the universe, the more it points to God. The earth cannot even exist today without God forming it. He said, Earth, I choose you, and I'm putting all these things in order so it can exist. I have my hand in it all the time. It cannot exist without me. So I don't know about you. I think it's absolutely crucial. No matter what you read, if you're not a reader like I am in all this, and I try to share all that summarized into one, read it for yourself. See what's going on now. See all the things that are changing because the more they know, the more they experiment, the more they try to understand, the more it says there can only be one answer. And that's God in control. Why do we have to see? Why do we have to experiment? Why do we have to prove? Why do we have to prove God? God already proves himself and everything that we put our eyes on. Why can we not see? I think we see enough, don't we? We're convinced. We're convinced. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, God, that you're good. I thank you, God, even through discussing these new experiments and new discoveries, astrophysics and, and all these, and, and those who look at astronomy and all these things up in the earth and around the earth, and, and even they're able to send telescopes further distances away. We have found zero intelligence anywhere else except for this planet. And this planet cannot exist without your hand. 
always in it, making it turn, making it do. Your hand is all over this universe. Thank you, Lord, that we have to, all we need to do is really look up. And the greatest miracle of all is the universe. Father, thank you for allowing us to, to understand. Thank you, Lord, that our hearts are not hardened, that we're not in a place that we have to be, things have to be proven to us. And that we stand in a place that, God, you have already proven yourself mighty through your son, Jesus. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you, Lord, for his patience with us. Thank you. He's going to continue that good work to the day of completion. Thank you, Lord, that you love us that much, that you'll take us into the boat, that you'll sit down with us. And even when we've become a least bit hardened and say, we can't do this. We don't have enough. We have no bread. And God, you will sit there and you teach us, don't you remember? Don't you remember what I've done? Don't you, even if it's just with the word of God, what I've done, but even in your life right now, you know. So thank you, Father, for that that my heart is open, that I could take anything today and I could step in any situation today and I would have enough. I have enough to do it and more. So Lord, thank you for giving me all that I need. Thank you for allowing me to be here today and to share from my heart. You're an awesome Lord. You deserve all the praise and worship. You are glorious in Jesus' name.